So I'm going to be talking about grace today. Um, I'm going to talk about the message of grace, what it actually means and stands for. I'm going to be talking about how it works out in our daily lives. I'm going to be talking about how infectious this can be to those around us. And hopefully I'm going to touch on race, as um, I think grace is a massive issue for race. I think just to apply ourselves to the race issues without understanding the grace of God, we won't get there in the end. Because it's through God's grace that we're able to live and we're able to do life with people who are of different cultures and different backgrounds. It has to be the grace and mercy of God. I mean, if you're different from me, you need grace to handle me. <laughs> and, so, um, and so this is very important, these two things go together. Some of you might think, well, I've heard all about grace before. Do you know what? You just can't hear enough about the grace of God. And my prayer today is even those of you who've heard loads of this, whether it's the first time or lots of time, something of the grace of God once again will come really hitting you and really motivate you in life. And so I'm going to look at three aspects of the grace of God and three areas. The first is this, that it is a wonderful truth. I'm going to look at the doctrine of the grace of God. This is a massive subject, so I'm going to do in about 10 minutes, which I would normally do in a five-part five series. I'm going to give you a kind of taste of it. And first of all, it is a wonderful truth, and a truth that you really do need to know as a child of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, I could have gone to lots of different passages of the Bible to describe grace. For me, this is one of the most powerful uh, texts in the whole Bible trying to describe this wonderful truth of grace. So I'm going to read these, <laughs> these verses to you. Now, if I read these verses in certain parts, I've just been traveling a lot to different nations recently, and if I was to read this chapter out in certain parts of the world, it's so exciting and so thrilling that I could hardly be able to uh, read these verses without many hallelujahs and amens and glory to God. But I'm in Welling, so it's probably not going to happen. Or you never know, it might do. I'm in England, where the hallelujahs are deep inside of us. But you'll see what I mean when I read through this passage, because it's hard to stay quiet when you're listening to wonderful truth. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Amen. In this passage, just to quickly explain what grace is, I see three wonderful aspects, if you like, of the grace of God. And the first is this. It shows me that it's God's initiation. When I think of the grace of God, I think of the fact that God is the one who does it all. If you're saved here today, he saved you. You didn't save yourself. You didn't even begin the process. He began the process. There became a moment when God came into your life. It was all his mercy and grace. It was undeserved, and he initiated it. So God initiates this grace. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses. Look at verse 5. Whilst you were dead. So here's a hint as to why he has to initiate something. Because you and I spiritually, it describes it in great details in verses 1 to 3. It's not very pleasant. You know, by nature, children of wrath. I mean, it's all there. You, it sums it up to say spiritually, you were dead. And that's the state that you were in. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there are shades of deadness. Which means that you're either dead or you're not. And the Bible says that we were dead... And there was nothing that we could, you can't, a dead person can't do anything about his or her state. You can't make yourself alive. You can't breathe life into you. Someone else has to do it. Now some of us are very aware before we're in Christ that we are dead. Some of us would put our hands up straight away and say, oh I was so dead. I was so, and the problem with that is there are some of us thinking we weren't really as dead as they were. How many of you were raised in church? Put your hands up. Church kids. There you go. Quite a few of you. Trouble with being a church kid. Sometimes say, you know, I hear this phrase sometimes. Are you a Christian? Well, I was raised Christian. Well, what on earth does that mean? You weren't raised to life. <clears throat> you might have been raised in the church, but you were as dead as the person who was far, far, far away from God and they knew it. So if you were raised in church and you are now a born-again Christian, that is as much a miracle as the person who never went to church all their lives. Amen? I think sometimes in the evangelical church, we've kind of adopted this thing of getting people to give their testimonies about how they became Christians. And, and you, you get someone with what I would call a really, really juicy testimony. Someone who's kind of done awful lots of things. And most of us are sitting there thinking, I hope they don't ask me to give my testimony because my testimony is really boring. I was raised in a Christian family. I never did anything wrong. And now I'm a Christian. You know, please don't ask me. And we put ourselves down as if they were really dead and we were not quite so dead. <clears throat> but if you were raised in a Christian family without a juicy testimony, you have got an absolutely miraculous testimony because now you find yourself alive in Christ. It's amazing. You know how it goes, you know, the juicy testimonies. We get people up, don't we, at Easter to give their testimonies, you know. I, I used to have a drug problem, um, and, and I was addicted um, to all kinds of alcohol. I used to hang out with all kinds of women. And then when I was five, I started to really kind of <laughs> mess up even bad. And, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, where is this going to go? I have a rubbish testimony. <coughs> no, you don't. In fact, the I found Jesus testimonies not really true he found you you didn't find him he found you and the grace of God is all about God's initiation amen isn't that amazing 
You wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't be in this building today if God hadn't one day broken into your life and said to you who are dead, I make you alive now through Christ, through the work of the cross and through the resurrection. The second thing about this wonderful truth is this. It's just one word. You've been approved. When I read this text in Ephesians chapter 2, it thrills me because it makes me realize that there was a, a finished work on the cross that was enough for God to now look at me and approve me, not through my works, but through the work of the cross alone. It's amazing. You see, the, throughout chapter 2, the phrase, we were, comes several times. It's talking about the past tense. Uh, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. You were, you were, you were, and then through the work of the cross, he made you, past tense, he saved you. Something happened at the cross that when you believed in the finished work of Jesus, it was like God said, now I approve you, and it doesn't matter what you try and do, you can't add to the work of the cross. The grace of God is this, that through believing in the cross, you are absolutely approved in the sight of God through the blood of Jesus from now and forevermore. You cannot add to it. It's enough. The Bible says it's a once and for all act. It's complete. And every time I put my trust in the, in the cross, I may be trying to find the approval of other people, my friends and my family and people at work and always sensing I need more approval but when it comes to your faith in Christ you don't need anything else to happen you have been past tense approved by the the blood of Jesus it's a wonderful wonderful truth it's life changing and as a christian today you're not trying to win approval as a christian today you're not trying to be saved you're not even trying to become a child of god you already are a child of God, approved through the work of Jesus. So many of us, even as Christians, are still trying to get approval. The grace of God is this. It was totally undeserved. But he has approved you now and forevermore. Hallelujah. If you die today, you know you'll be approved. You live for another 20 years, 30 years. How many years are you going to live for, Dayo? Another 50, 60, 80, 90 years, more years. It doesn't matter how many years. This is not a prophecy. It doesn't matter how many years you keep going. The truth of the matter is this. Every day you wake up, you're still approved through the finished work of the cross. We don't need anything else to add to what God has already done. Okay? So it's God's initiative. And then we find out that we're approved now and forever. Here's the third little thing we get out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's a gift. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. Verse 8, look at it with me, please. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. So a gift needs to be received. And the gift is offered to you the gift of grace is offered to you for you to receive and it's it's not you can't buy it you can't earn it it's frustrating isn't it 
You can't better yourself to even deserve it. You never deserved it. You don't today and you never ever will in the future. You can't work to be a recipient of the grace of God. It is a gift that is freely given that needs to be received. And if you sit there thinking, but that's not fair, you're absolutely right. The grace of God has got a lot to do with what's not fair. You didn't deserve this. You don't merit it. It's just freely given. So here's the deal. You've got to ask yourself the question as a result of it, why me? Do you know what? I'm looking at you and I'm thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> why, why you? I mean, I don't know. There's nothing in you that's worthy of it. There's, there's nothing in us that's bought it. None of us are better than anybody else. And the race issue is really interesting at this point. Because it's not to do with your education or your background or your skin color or your culture or your language. It's to do with the free gift of God, like a gift that's been freely given to us. And so we're left the rest of our lives in wonder. Why me? How come God gave this grace to me? And I think that verse 4 is about as close as you're ever going to get to the answer. What is it saying, verse 4? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So I can only conclude, as I look at Joe, for example, it's always good to look at Joe, for examples, and think, well, he obviously didn't deserve this. He didn't earn it, he didn't buy it. So how on earth, how on earth has he received it? And I can only come to one conclusion, God loves him. That's the only for qualification. The wonderful thing is this, God loves the whole world. Anybody that believes in the cross and turns to him <coughs> will receive this gift of righteousness, this free gift. The grace of God comes pouring into his life or her life. It's ever so important that we, we understand on the basis of God's love for you that this is the motivation for the rest of our lives. Sometimes when we preach grace as opposed to law, some Christians get a bit worried and concerned because it sounds like we're saying, so there we go then, that's it. We're just saved and we've got the grace of God and people might become lazy and take it for granted and people might become very carefree about their Christianity and don't bother much to do very much. Of course, that's where the law comes because the law comes for us to try harder, to, to try our hardest to earn things and you can't go there. I personally think that the wonder of why me and being overwhelmed by the grace of God as a free gift is enough to keep me motivated for the rest of my life. Every morning you wake up, take a minute to just be, you know, you may be going through a rotten time, things may be really tough, <coughs> things there may be problems at work and everything else. You may be overwhelmed by life, but you can take a minute to say, nevertheless, I have the grace of God poured out upon my life. I don't understand why I don't deserve this, but God in his mercy and grace. You don't need someone to bring laws and rules and regulations into your life to keep you motivated. You just need to be overwhelmed constantly. You know, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I've got to get back to my servant because I'm getting off, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1, <coughs> it says, Brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I watch Christians getting that wrong way around. They're presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice out of duty. Why do you present your body as a living sacrifice? Because you're overwhelmed. In view of God's mercy, 
I give my life, my money, my time, my energy, my efforts. I live for this because I can't believe that I get to receive the grace of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. It really is. And just touching on race, because this is a series about <coughs> race and grace, I would say this, in the light of God's initiation, the light that he's approved of me, in the light that I've received the gift, his nemi over here who's different, his skin color is different to mine. Have you noticed? Even though I've been in Cyprus for a week, I still can't, I still can't get there. I only got back on Saturday night. But I wasn't a holiday, by the way. I was working. And, uh, and, and, and we're, we're, we're different in so many ways. But God's initiated his love into his life as well as mine. God has approved him as well as me. God has given him a gift as well as given me a gift. We're one in Christ already before we started the journey. We may have different skin colors, but we are one in Jesus. And here's the deal. Romans 15 verse 7 says, accept one another as you have been accepted in Christ. I don't know whether I like or hate that verse because it's so powerful. I don't get to choose. I don't get to choose who I'm with in the body of Christ. I don't get to choose people of my skin color or my education or my get. That's why the church is a multiracial, multicultural community because people of all colors and creeds and backgrounds have received the gift of grace. And I don't get to choose who I hang out with. I hang out with loads of different people to me. Why? Because we're all recipients of the grace and mercy of God. Hallelujah. It's not only a wonderful truth. Number two, it's a transforming truth. What does that mean? Well, this is a wonderful doctrine. We've been looking at it the last 15 minutes. But it's more than a doctrine. It's never meant to be just some wonderful truth that we go, wow, wow, that's tremendous. Look at Ephesians 2. What a fantastic passage of Scripture. This Scripture, Ephesians 2, is meant to get into your life. It has the power to be not just words, but these words, if you like, have the power to transform and change you. The doctrine is wonderful, but it's more than a doctrine. It's never meant to be just a doctrine you wonder about or sing songs about. It's meant to permeate every part of your life. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. The Apostle Paul in this chapter is talking about how he's not really worthy to be called an apostle. And he goes down all his history of all the things that have happened in his life. And he ends with verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15 and says this. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. Or the translation could be, I am who I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, which means not without effect. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I mean, that's just one little verse. I wish I had all day to talk about this. There's one little verse, but it's packed with the most amazing truth. There's three things from this verse that immediately comes to light in terms of it being transforming. First of all, these are results. Of, as, so Paul's got results as, the, as a result of the grace of God. One is I have a new identity. I am who I am by the grace of God now. I used to be this, and I used to be known as that, but this is now who I am. By the grace of God, I have a new identity of who I am in Christ. Secondly, he says, it's, it's not in vain. What does that mean? It means it's changed me. This wonderful doctrine has not only given me new identity, it's changed the very root of who I am. <clears throat> and then thirdly, it's the end of striving. Yet not I, but the grace of God 
that is at work within me. Do you know why I know that knowing the doctrine of grace is not enough? Because I know people that can preach the doctrine of the grace of God. They can thunder it from their pulpits. They can talk powerfully about the wonders of the grace of God. And then when you hang out with them afterwards, they're about the most miserable people you've ever come across in your life. It's true. Think, what is going on? You've just expounded some amazing, wonderful truth. And yet you are someone who's not a happy bunny. You're not someone who you want to hang out with as a result. Because somehow the great doctrines that you have proclaimed have not yet permeated your life. And I just want to use this as a little exercise because I, I just want to, to, show you, to ask you the question, has the grace of God changed you? Has it, has it come into your life and permeated everything about you? And my little exercise is to talk about you as a person at the very core of your being, your identity. Because from what I can see from 1 Corinthians 15.10, your identity now is who you are, not what you do, or even how well you are doing. This is my new identity. The grace of God is meant to so affect and change us that we're able to say, do you know, at the very root of my being, I'm changed. And it's important that you understand that God loves you as you are. He wants you to be able to say, I am who I am by the grace of God. I may not be doing very well at the moment. I may be going through a hard time, but it doesn't change my identity. Life might be very perplexing, but it doesn't change my identity. And here's what we've got to stop doing, comparing ourselves with other people. I hear Christians say, if only I was like her. What are they saying? Well, they see her as someone really gifted and really close to God. And if I can just tuck in unbehind her, then maybe God will really... But God doesn't want you like her. He wants you like you. Oh, I would love to be like that couple. Or if only I could be as gifted as that guy. Stop it. Stop saying those things. Because what's the point of God breaking into your life if all you want to do is be like somebody else so you might earn the grace and mercy of God when you've actually earned the mercy and grace of God by being yourself? It's massive. This is the grace of God permeating your life. It's what I have become. It now defines me. So let me ask you this question. I want you to forget about everybody else just for a moment. Let me ask you this question. Can you say... That I am who I am by the grace of God. It's important that you accept yourself as God has accepted you. With all your funny ways. With all your peculiar looks and body shapes. Of which there are many different ones in this room. With all your know, little goatee beards some of us have got. And some of us can't ever grow a beard. And you know, you look in the mirror. It just, it's, it's got to do with... Something that's more than the outward appearance, but something that's within you. And with all that, God loved you with all those funny ways and wrong ideas and attitudes and off-putting ways that drives everyone crazy. You've got to get to a place where you can look in the mirror, get beyond what you don't want to see, and say, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. See, because our image today is internal, not external. The world's besotted, completely overwhelmed with what you look like. It's all to do with image. I was in the gym yesterday, lunchtime. Let me repeat that. I was in the gym yesterday, lunchtime. 
because I'm not bothered about my outward appearance. But I was in the gym today, and I was just getting changed. And there was this guy, he must have been about 22. This is kind of a new phenomenon for me. I don't think my generation would... Yeah, well, I won't go there anyway. And he, he, I don't know what it was, but he had a brush that looked like something his mum had given to him. And he was in the front of the mirror just doing this. I thought, how many times do you have to do this? And he kept looking... And he kept doing this, and then crawling, but he got a thing out, and he got some something out. I don't know what he was, and put that on, and then he walked away. And I thought, well, thank goodness. And then he walked back again, and he started the process all over again. It's really strange. It's really weird. I mean, who's looking? <laughs> it's just like strange. Are you one of those people? You know, when you're in blue water. When you're walking along, you have to keep looking at yourself in the reflection, uh, just to make sure everything. We're a nation that's besotted with outward appearance. God's far more interested in what's going on in the inside. Your character is far more important than your looks. And guess what? As the years go by, your looks are going to change whatever you do. This friend of mine who was doing his hair, you know, that hair may not be there in 20 years' time. (laughs) What a waste of time. If he keeps brushing, it won't be there. Yes, exactly. Ugh. How do I know whether the grace of God has really penetrated your life? Has it really permeated? Well, I can't tell in a meeting. I just don't know. You know, you could have been coming here this afternoon and there could have been all sorts of things going on in your life and there could have been all sorts of turmoils this morning and, and you've had till four o'clock to get here anyway, but it's been a long day and things went wrong and you got annoyed with everybody you met and uh, you weren't having a very happy day and, and something else went wrong. And if you're married, if you've got kids, you know, they weren't behaving very well and everything. It's been a rotten, horrible day. I guarantee this. The moment you rock up out here and you come into this door and you've got a person greeting you warmly. Hello, how are you? You say, fine, thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let us go to the house of the Lord. And then you come into the house of the Lord and you know how to behave. You raise your hand and I have no idea whether the grace of God is permeating your life in the meetings. So there's only one way I'm going to know. I need to come and hang out with you. I need to come and have a, few, a week with you. Let me come and spend a week with you. Would you like that? And we just hang out together. Yes. <laughs> let's hang out together and let's see whether the grace of God has really permeated your life. Actually, for some of you, half a day will probably be enough. Because <laughs> then I really will. If you come and hang out with me, I can preach this stuff. But the only way you know whether it's really living is to come out and live with me and see what I'm like with my relationships at work, you know, in the street in which I live, the way I handle life. Because that's when you know where the grace of God is permeated. And if I came and lived with you, what would, if I discovered, for example, that you were easily condemned... I think we'd start having a conversation about the freedom that there is that can remove condemnation in Christ. Or if I found out that you were someone who was prone to self-pity, maybe we'd start to talk about, let's talk about the gospel a little more. Because while we're feeling sorry for ourselves, let's talk about this Jesus who died in our place and laid down his life for us. Maybe I discover that you are someone who's always striving you know, I, 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 I know people who are driven. I mean, they're totally driven and striving in their lives. 
we might be having a conversation together about the grace of God can take away striving by giving you rest. Or maybe you're someone that's very anxious. The grace of God can come to your anxiety by giving you contentment, by giving you peace. Or what if I discover that every time someone says something to you, you feel rejected and you back off people? I think we'd be having a conversation about the grace of God hasn't yet permeated your life because even though if everyone rejects you, God has accepted you as you are and you need to live in that acceptance. For everything we can bring as a negative, there's the grace of God. I mentioned earlier, didn't I, approval. What everyone thinks about me, trying to be popular, trying to be popular. Do you know, it's a sad thing when you see a Christian particularly trying to win the approval of people to be popular because when you finally think you've got popular and you've got approval from everybody, there'll still be one person that picks something up and it's an endless battle. Why even bother when all that matters is the approval of God, that he loves you and accepts you as you are? See, what I'm trying to do is show you that these wonderful truths are meant to come and change you. If you're married, the grace of God needs to permeate your marriage. If you've got kids, the grace of God can permeate the way you raise your children. When it comes to the race issue, the grace of God needs to permeate all of our lives so that we can learn how to live together and understand one another. And can I just touch really quickly on this phrase? Yet not I, 1 Corinthians 15.10, yet not I, but the grace of God. I just want to touch on that. I felt really to touch on it for, for you guys this afternoon. I have no idea why. But I think the grace of God, when Paul says, yet I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. It's an amazing phrase. He's not saying go lazy. He's saying, yeah, I worked, I really gave, I did lots of stuff. I'm doing lots of stuff. But it's so the grace of God so permeates me it doesn't feel like hard work that's what he must be saying he must be saying it is hard it looks like hard work but I'm so tapping into the grace of God and appropriating the grace of God every moment of my life that it feels like I'm being buoyed along I'm being carried by the grace and mercy of God I think some of us need that in our lives I think some of us are tired and we're exhausted 21st century London Christians can get worn out and exhausted. We do things sometimes that we don't have the grace for what we do. We're running around, doing stuff, getting bigger homes and better education for our kids and sport left, right and center. And we're all exhausted and tired. I just ask the question, why are you doing this? Or if you are doing it, make sure you've got the grace of God. So the end result isn't that you run ragged and exhausted, but the end result is that there's joy and there's life and there's peace and there's contentment and there's energy. And if those things are not there in your life, then you need to learn to live in the grace of God or be brave and stop some of them. Because some of, some of us are just living crazy lives. And do you know what? Life's not going to get any slower. It's just going to get busier and busier and busier. So well, what's that got to do with the grace of God? It's got everything to do with the grace of God. Because the grace of God asks the questions of why, the motives of why we do things. It's, it really does penetrate us in the very depth of our being. Amen. Finally, third thing is that this truth is infectious. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. If you've been a receptive, a receiver of grace, then you can be a giver of grace. It's wonderful, isn't it, this doctrine? It's fantastic to know it's penetrating our lives. But God doesn't want to keep you to keep this to yourself. 
He wants you to share this, to give this away. There's something about the grace of God that has the power to affect other people. How our society today needs to see the grace of God. There's so little grace in the UK at the moment. Have you noticed? I mean, when it comes across our lives, it should see and feel and experience something of the grace of God. Not just as individuals, but as a community. When people come amongst us, they should see the grace of God. Not just hear the doctrine of the grace of God. Not just know that that doctrine is, is changing lives. But then it's demonstrated, it's on display for those to see. In Acts chapter 11, we look at verse 23. It's a story of when Barnabas is sent down from Jerusalem to check out a bunch of people who've become Christians. But no one in Jerusalem is really sure whether they're the real deal or not. We're just not sure. So Barnabas goes down to find out whether they're the real deal. This is what it says in Acts 11, 23. And when Barnabas came and saw, see that word? Other translations have saw the evidence of. When he came along, saw the evidence of what? The grace of God. So this was not a doctrine he was seeing. This was something that permeated people's lives, as we've just been talking about, and then was so visible, he saw it. And for Paul, for Barnabas rather, the authenticity as whether these people were truly Christians was the grace of God. He wasn't, he wasn't saying they're preaching good sermons. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. No. He's saying here's the real deal. This is what confirms it. These people are showing the evidence of the grace of God. And he was glad. And he exalted them to remain faithful. And he got on his mobile, back to Jerusalem, said, they're the real deal. It took about a few months, actually, but (laughs) they are the real deal. How do you know? I saw the evidence of the grace of God. This is so powerful. The grace of God is infectious. I don't know what he saw. He must have seen changed lives, and maybe he saw love. Maybe he saw the outworking of the grace of God, the real deal, how these people love one another and serve one another. It was infectious it was authentic and genuine Jesus said by their fruit you will know them he saw something of the fruit of the doctrine of the grace of God permeating their lives and then being on display I believe grace is something that's alive you can touch it you can see it it's something in it that rubs off on others we have a couple of people in our Elton congregation who've been saved in the last year from terrible uh, drink problems, Alcoholics Anonymous. They're now bringing along most of the people that they're with. And do you know what is the attractive thing? Some of these people, the grace of God is so on display. It's such a transformation of life. It's just infectious. They're just telling everybody it's the answer's Jesus. And people can see that the answer's Jesus in the transformation of their lives. Because the gospel is the only one that can, thing that can really set people free and change their lives. We're seeing people coming to Jesus over in Eltham at the moment because people are just being so attracted by something that is really attractive. (laughs) If God can do it for you with your addictions, he can do it for me too. It's wonderful. And it needs to be worked out amongst us as a community, the way we relate to one another, the way we accept one another, the way we make mistakes and forgive one another. We're not judgmental, we're not competitive. And it's not just words, it's the practical way we hospital, what's the word? Hospitable. We do stuff together without 
judging one another, it's really, really attractive. Believe you me, when it comes to the race issue that we'll be looking at over the next three weeks, this is going to have to be one of the most attractive things of all. That we accept one another. And the grace of God is demonstrated through our love and union with one another. See, every tribe, every tongue, every nation isn't just something reserved for heaven. What's the point? It's too late. We've all got there. It's over. A prophetic voice of the church is that we're every tribe, tongue, and nation now on earth. And when the world is segregating off, the church is coming together because of God's mercy and grace being worked out in our lives. As Nemi of Welling said just last week, the grace of God breaks down barriers, turns away prejudice, because it proves that the gospel works because it's inclusive of whoever you are and wherever you come from. Can I just say one final thing about grace, which I do think is important in terms of how infectious this truth is, is even the way we speak. The way we speak to one another in church community, the way we speak to people who don't yet know Jesus. The speech that comes out of our mouths tells us something about the grace of God. The way I converse with people that disagree with me, for example, the way, the tone, the way I do it is dependent on God's grace in me. So you find little verses like this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious. What does that mean? Well, it's from the grace of God. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Do you ever get into a discussion with somebody who disagrees with you on something? The way you then handle that conversation with that person, the tone that you use, seasoned with salt, the gracious way that you... you know, I've got into some scrapes over years with people who really don't like me and what I stand for and what I believe. And something inside me wants to be really, really defensive and then aggressive. Do you understand? Because I'm defending something, because I'm defending what I believe my faith, I then start getting aggressive. It doesn't win over anybody. Uh, I, I've spoken to aggressive atheists in my life, and uh, I, I, I really want to get aggressive back. <laughs> but I've learned that if you do not do that, and you just take your time, and you just share naturally, you know, Christians don't go into this strange, weird world of kind of a metamorphosis that happens to Christians sometimes when it comes to defending their faith. Just be yourself and just talk graciously to people. One thing our society has got to learn is this. Just because we don't agree with one another doesn't mean that we hate one another. I'm afraid we're living in a world at the moment where if you disagree with somebody, it must mean that you hate them. I, I, I don't agree with what uh, Islam stands for, but it doesn't mean I don't love Muslims. I really do, and we should. And the way we interact and the way we respond, all of those things are absolutely true. I don't agree with my government that says marriage can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. I will never agree with that. It's contrary to what I believe from my biblical worldview. But it doesn't mean I hate the people that do. And this is the grace of God in us. It's not that we're compromising what we believe. We don't. But the way we then interact with people is often going to be whether we'll cause people to back off or whether we'll be winsome and bring people on the journey with us. We are carriers of grace wherever we go. And the fun thing is we're weak and we're like, the Bible says, jars of clay. 
And what that means is when we go through life in weakness, people nevertheless see the grace of God and they say, you're going through what we're going through, but there's something different about you. What is it? And we'll say it's the grace of God at work in our lives and this grace can work in your life too. Amen.